Blog Talk Radio. Hi, this is Brenda Russell, and there is definitely a buzz happening. Brandon's Buzz. Hey, this is Nicholas Rodriguez. You are listening to Brandon's Buzz. Be prepared to laugh. You're going to have a good time. Hi, I'm Alita Adams. Everybody is all abuzz about Brandon's buzz. This guy is the person to listen to. <laughs> I wish you could do all the interviews. <laughs> so if you feel that you just can't take it, and your world isn't what it seems, don't forget that life can be what you make it, better when you live on a street of dreams. Hey, this is Nia Peoples, and you're with Brandon's Buzz, the place to be. Hi, this is Lynn Herring on Brandon's Buzz. It's the great entertainment talk show on now. Brandon, I love you. Thanks for having me. This is Connie Pasolacqua-Hayman, otherwise known as Marlena Delacroix. Have a great time with Brandon. I always do. He's a fantastic interviewer, and I'm saying that because I'm a journalism professor, and he's a pro. This is Maya Bialik, and you are lucky enough to be listening to Brandon's Buzz. Hey guys, and welcome back to Brandon's Buzz. It is September 16th, 2009. It's 9 p.m. here in Texas. It's 10 p.m. back east. It's 7 p.m. out in sunny California. And it's a big night for us at Brandon's Buzz here. We have a great guest, a spectacular woman. And, you know, we have a lot to dig into, so I'm not going to waste any time with any, you know, tell you how to find the show. I'll tell you all that at the end. I just want to dig right in here. You know, my guest tonight, she needs absolutely no introduction but I'm damn well going to give her one anyway. She was Miss Alabama in 1974. Oh, no! And she hit New York City running when she nabbed the role of Ashley Linden on <laughs> NBC's nascent but deeply beloved soap opera Texas. Within a year, she was writing the show, and in her own words, she never looked back. The show was canceled despite a stunningly vocal protest from its fans, and she moved on to Guiding Light, whereupon she instantly breathed refreshing new life into the then-struggling classic soap. She spent a cumulative total of six years spinning yarns in Springfield, but the stories and the characters and the couplings that she created during that time, Philip and Beth's love story, Alexandra Spaulding, that spunky spitfire Harley Davidson Cooper and her wacky family, and of course the one and only Reva Shane Lewis, continue to populate and haunt the show to this very day. And even though she's moved on to a massively successful career in other forms, she is still fondly remembered by an entire generation of soap fans, of which I happily and most definitely include myself as the most interesting, most compelling, most fascinating storyteller in the entire impossibly rich history of Guiding Light. And on the wrenching occasion of that series finale, which takes place on Friday, she's come by the bus tonight to reminisce and to remember. As a writer myself, and as a diehard soap fan of most of three decades, I will tell you without, equi- equi- um, let's try that again, I will tell you without equivocation or without irony that we are damn lucky to truly be in the presence of greatness this evening, and that is that it is a genuine honor and a spectacular thrill to welcome to my show tonight the extraordinary, the exquisite Pamela K. Long. Oh, for heaven's sakes, Brandon, I wish you were here just like, you need to come and live at my house. <laughs> I could just like hear that every single day. <laughs> You're a wonderful writer. I just didn't you know you were going to go so writer, far my back dear. in my history. <laughs> How are you? I'm doing great. You know, I'm I, out here in sunny Southern California. Yes, you know, I usually start my shows in a different way, but I just have to say, and we were talking about this before the show, but you know, when this when this cancellation was announced last spring, I waited and waited and waited for someone in the soap press to find you and get your take on this news. And 
you know, when it came to be August and it still hadn't happened, I decided I was going to try to dig you up myself and get that opinion myself. And, you know, it took a little digging and one hell of a lot of luck, but here you are, and I couldn't be more thrilled or honored to have you i got to tell you, you are quite the investigative reporter. <laughs> because it's not easy to find me. I know that. Not. But um, you were wonderful. You did it through my um, my Achilles heel, my husband. <laughs> so, no, it's it's great fun. I, I, I loved your letter. And um, I love that you love Guiding Light and the stories that we told, and Boy, that uh, you know it it is it is wrenching for it to be off. It's kind of like it was always there in the background. It's where I grew up. It's where I had my family, and um, um, and I always knew that it was there. That those wonderful characters were mm-hmm. there, mm-hmm. and the Blood idea home. that that it's really finite. I, I really thought it was going to go on forever because it's been on longer than anything else. So, I mean, it's, it's the longest-running series in the history of the world. That's Nothing right. Nothing even come close. That's right, on planet Earth. It's been on the airwaves <laughs> continuously longer than anything else. You know, we'll dig into it a, a bit in depth a bit later on, but just give me your initial thoughts when you first heard this news that Guiding Light was, was t- being taken off the air. Well, it was a blow, and I I went back to a place that I hadn't really visited in a long time, which is the love that I still have for the characters on that show. and. You know, I think I, I I wrote to you and I told you that it had been many moons since I had yeah. that I, that I had seen the show and Dude. and I watched it yesterday and I just the the idea that I'm looking at people that I created and they were Absolutely. kids, damn they right, they were kids and now they're talking to their grandchildren. I'm like, what? <laughs> well, of course you can't see me right now, but I am just as young and pretty as ever. <laughs> I believe you know, it. I, I put on makeup and did my hair just to talk on the. <laughs> On this, um, but I, I thought that they they looked wonderful, and Philip, you know, Philip was my first love as a writer. I mean, I totally you know fell in love with that character, and you what know, a great he's character. St- he's what still, a, oh, he still got to me. What a mass of neuroses and and you know, uh, loved uh, it. Brilliant, brilliant, good looks, and you know, he was the he was the the prince of the family, and yet he was this neurotic mess. Oh, I know. You know his intelligence and and such a complex character and the love that he had for and you know and for people who TiVo it's why I didn't say anything specific to you in my email because I don't know if people have seen the show some people wait and watch them all uh-huh. and I don't want to give anything away but maybe it doesn't matter you can tell me but it was a shocking ending at the end of the show yesterday and to I you know, it still gets me I was in tears <laughs> you know I was in tears. I'm I'm usually a spoiler fanatic, and for some reason I hadn't read the spoilers this week on what was going to happen on Guiding Light, and so it was a it was a shocking gut punch the way it used to be in the in the good old days, you know that 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 plotline twist. And I won't say anything either, just in case people haven't watched it yet. But it was truly stunning. Yes, it was, and it was it was brilliant and and kind of fitting, and um, uh, you know, it was a great day. It was a great day in Springfield yesterday. Absolutely. On so many levels, but yeah, you know. But I found myself. I was starting to spin. I'm like, I, you know, I can plug back into those characters in a in a heartbeat. <laughs> in a heartbeat. 
Absolutely. So let's backtrack a little bit. Give us the 60-second bio on Pam Long. Where were you born? Where were you raised? Where did you go to school? Get out! Ain't that's how, that's how I usually start my show with it, with every guest. I usually start with asking that question. Where were you okay, born? Okay, okay. Well, I, actually I was born in Shreveport, Louisiana, but my parents just happened to be there because they're Alabamians and they've always been Alabamians. And um, so I grew up in Alabama, in uh, Huntsville, Alabama, um, which was very interesting uh place to grow up. I said I went to school with um, rednecks and rocket scientists um, <laughs> because it's the seat of, you know, NASA and, and uh, Redstone Arsenal and all these, all these things. Scientists are everywhere. There's think tanks everywhere. And then there's the cotton fields that are there. And it was, it was an interesting way to grow up. But I, I grew up in a, in a small city or medium city in the, in the south. And, um, and what was I supposed to talk about after that? <laughs> Just where I was born, right? Yeah, just, just tell me this. Did you always have stars in your eyes? Did you always know that you were headed to Oh, secretly. Things? Doesn't every, you know, little girl and boy, when they're dreaming in their bed at night, say, oh, I wish I could be a star? But actually, I was always... So, but it, it may not always happen. I mean, I always did, but, but, you know, it may not always. But you are your star in your own show. <laughs> Absolutely. But I, sure I did. But, you know, that just seemed... You know that was that was fairy tale stuff. I had a vivid imagination, uh, but I no, I wanted to be a teacher. That was always the the plan, and um, I geared myself to that. And uh, Miss Alabama was about. I was recruited to be. I wasn't. I didn't grow up like a little beauty pageant girl. Sure. You weren't. You weren't um, John Bonet. No, I was a no. <laughs> I was a tomboy, but but I was also a ventriloquist. From the time that I was nine years old, I discovered this town because that's when Vonda K. Van Dyke won Miss America. And, you know, every year there was two things you didn't miss, the Wizard of Oz and the Miss America pageant. And Vonda K. Van Dyke was a ventriloquist, and she won talent, and she won Miss America. But the thing that impressed me the most is she won Miss Congeniality, which meant everybody liked her. So that really impressed me, and I looked in the Sears catalog, and I saw a little Danny O'Day, and... I wanted to be a ventriloquist, and um, my sister, who was older than me, was married to, I say he was married to a magician. I mean, he was a lawyer on the side, but um, he got me involved in that, and I used to do magic shows, and, and so I was used to kind of entertaining, um, and, um, and then I got recruited when I, the summer before I started college, uh, someone had seen me do the ventriloquism, and they wanted to... You know, usually these these beauty pageants are fundraisers for somebody's group, mm-hmm. and they wanted kind of you know they had like I guess too many singers, and maybe a baton twirl or two. But they thought, oh, she'll make a great show. Let's get her there. And I I won it. And there was you know there was were you some, flabbergasted? I actually I actually was because I thought, well now what have I gotten myself into? <laughs> and then I realized, but they told me at the time, if you get this, you could get some scholarships. Sure. You know, and by the time I went to Miss Alabama, um, I did get these partial scholarships, but not to the not to the school that I was going to, which was close to home, because my daddy had some health problems, and which is why I was going to school close to home. And I went in to the president of the university and said, "Look, I've gotten these these scholarships to these other places, but not here. Why should I come here if they're offering me, you know, scholarships somewhere else?" He said, "Ms. Long," because that's how he talked. 
he said, Ms. Long, I, I don't know, but I will get you on work study here and get you a job, even if it's for working for the president of the university, which I did for wow. the next three and a half years. And I learned more there than anywhere else. And um, that's why it wasn't hard for me when I finally went to New York and I would be in the room with network execs and things uh-huh. like that. Uh-huh. I just thought of them as just regular guys like my old boss used to be, uh-huh. you know. <laughs> I, I didn't know the rules, so I broke all of them, and I, I, I didn't care. I just loved telling stories. Wow. I know I, made, I did a big uh, gap there between um, how I got from Alabama up to New York City, but anyway. No, but it's great. I don't know how you knew that that was going to be my next question. Oh, how did I get to New York City? <laughs> You know, what you know, moving to New York City. What gave you the courage to take that leap? You know, I was listening to an interview with uh, Kristen Chenoweth yesterday, who's a great actress, and she was talking about her early years going to New York. And you know, what she basically said was, "You don't know what you don't know." You know, when you're young and just starting out, you're allowed to be stupid and a little reckless in pursuit of what you're after. Oh yeah. If you found that to be true as well. Well, you know. It's like you can make all the plans in the world. Like my plan all those years was to be a, was to be a teacher. And I, I finally decided that I really wanted to teach in college. And I had, you know, Miss Alabama put me through school. I didn't even have to buy a pencil or a book. It meant the world to me to be able to have that education. And I don't know how my family would have done it if I hadn't. Because back then especially, there weren't scholarships for girls. There's still not enough of them. Mm -hmm. Um, I remember going and searching for them, and there was one at Forestry at Auburn. Well, you know. I never was even. I never even went to the woods until I was 19 or 20 years old. We won't even talk about that. But um, so I needed to have scholarships. And um, but anyway, by the time I was about to graduate, I had a fellowship um, to graduate school because I wanted to be, of course, Doctor Long, just like the president of the university I worked for. And um, but you had to take the GRE. That's a big test, right? Uh-huh. And a third of it's math. Let me tell you, I can't do math. I, can, I put it off every year until I couldn't graduate unless I took the idiot math. And in the first day of the class, they said, you know, integer. And I'm like, what? what's an integer? And they said, it means number. I said, I am in so much trouble. And somehow I thought my strategy weren't good. You know, people have like coaches and things now before they take these tests. But third of it was math, I thought, well, I'll just leave that part blank. And... um but I did so well on the, you know, the English and the verbal parts of it that I could still get into graduate school, but I couldn't have the fellowship. I was going to have to reapply. Oh. Well, the injustice of that just got to me. I'm like, you mean that I've been in school for, you know, 15 years, and I have this incredible resume, and I, I make straight A's, and I've got all, and, and in one day, in one test, that, that keeps me out of there? And they said, yeah. And I said, well, that's not right. That's not fair. <laughs> so that was that. And wow. I kind of launched myself out into the world. I tried. To, I did some things in Alabama for a while, mostly with the, still with the ventriloquism. Okay. You know, I was a spokesman for a chain of department stores. But anyway, mainly I was um, living in Birmingham with a bunch of other bums. And um, <laughs> one of them said, hey, let's go up to New York and see if we could get into the big time there. I mean, I'm serious. This is how he talked. And I said, well, we don't even know anybody there. And all we'd done was read magazine articles, and we, so we knew about Ford Wilhelmina and Elite. Well, I wasn't a model. He actually was, but I wasn't. He's just wow. a friend. And um, he said, well, let's just go. What can happen in a week? 
you know? It's just a week. Let's go. So we went up there, and we we went to Ford and Wilhelmina Elite. <laughs> we didn't know what we were doing. and But they would see on my resume, Miss Alabama. Well, they just had to see that, sure. even to hear me talk. Sure. And I ended up um, getting to go out on some auditions, and I got a hair commercial. And that was what I needed. That was the sign that I needed. And I, I, I moved up to New York. I had six months that I could live in one room. I had a one-room apartment there. It was 105 degrees when I got there. And um, I used to have to make a choice between, am I going to buy some milk or a pair of pantyhose? Because we were wearing pantyhose then, I hate to say. And I would choose pantyhose because my job was trying to get a job. And I ended up getting an audition um, on, um, I was actually just reading for boys, but on um, uh, Texas. Yes. And it was with Beverly McKenzie. Yes. Which was Who was the biggest thing in daytime at that point. The biggest thing in daytime. What little money I had, I had um, put into to, to voice lessons, speech lessons, to try to get rid of my accent because they were like, you have to have like a, a, a Midwest, you know, you, you can't you can't sell anything because all I was trying to do was get commercials and things. And I said, well, can't I sell Jello? You know, like something like the Campbell soup, and they'd be like, no, get rid of it. So I tried and tried and tried to get rid of it, and I couldn't. And then finally. Here it is. They sent me upstairs to audition. They're putting us on tape. And I start the scene with her, and it's Beverly McKenzie. And out of my mouth, I'm playing like a southern steel magnolia. It's like it's Ashley. It's, it's uh-huh. me. And out of my mouth comes the perfect Midwestern accent. I mean, the thing that I could never do to try to get the commercials. <laughs> and about halfway through the scene, I'm so... I'm so caught up in how ridiculous I sound because it's not me that I just I started laughing and I just stopped in the middle, and um, and Beverly McKenzie said you're not uh, that's not really how you talk is it? And I'm like no no ma'am it's not. And she just started talking to me and she made them keep running with the tape. And when it was over, uh, I thought well I've blown that but at least they won't forget me. Maybe I'll get back in for something else. Wow. And um, she went into the into the um, you know where the producers were, and she uh-huh. said, "Well, there's only one choice." And they said, "Who?" Because I thought it would be who was it? Patricia Heaton. There was somebody who actually Patricia Callenberg, who actually did go on to do some um, some acting in uh-huh. in prime time and everything. Uh-huh. A little bit, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and um, <laughs> uh, there was only three of us uh, at the audition, and um, she said, "Well, you know, Pamela Long." And they said, barely. She doesn't have any experience. She couldn't even get through the scene. She goes, yes, but I have a feeling about her. Wow. You know, she purred. And she goes, oh, yes, but I have a feeling about her. <laughs> and, uh, and, and it was great. I wouldn't have gotten it without her. Um, and, you know, I, I was much more comfortable in the front office or I was hanging out, you know, with the guys and props. Uh, I had not really been around actors that much. Um, but I, was, I loved the story. I just loved the story, and I would just, you know, grab every script as soon as it came in and, and would see what everyone was doing. And I should have known then I wasn't an actor because actors, go, they read their scenes and they count the lines. And I would have, I would have killed me. I would have killed me if I had had someone like me, you know, but I didn't know. So I would, like, go and bang on the producer's door and say, hey, 
you know, I, I, I think I, it was Gail Covey. So I think I, I think I, I, I know what's going to happen in the story. And she'd be like, what? Because that's how she talked. And, um, and I would tell her, and she would go, no, but that's not a bad idea. <laughs> and and then she started. It ended up that she was pulling me in, saying, "Okay, what is it you think is going to happen next?" <laughs> and I I would tell her, and she'd say, "That's pretty good. Now, why don't you write that down?" <laughs> you know. That is and, insane. That is crazy. Oh no, it was crazy. But I had such a feel for the show. I loved the characters. It was a southern soap. And, and um, did, did you know from soaps at that time? Were you a soap fan or no? No. No, wow. I mean, I was aware of, of when I was little, I was aware of Guiding Light because I knew about Papa Bauer okay. and Burt Bauer. So my mother used to iron during Guiding Light. Exactly. And I remember Secret Storm. Okay. <laughs> so as a little girl, when I get home from school, you know, my mother would be ironing and, you know, but it wasn't like a sit down, we're going to watch our stories. This is uh-huh. my mother would keep it on. And so I was, I was kind of aware, but that was it. And, and as... You know, through college and everything. No, I did not. I did not watch uh, soaps, um, but I I loved to read. I'd never been a writer either. Um, that is insane. That's crazy. But I started rewriting my scenes, and and then the people with me um, liked for me to do it, and <laughs> <laughs> and so oh, I would have killed me. Oh, I, I get mad at myself right now just thinking about it. But um. <laughs> You would never get away with that today, ever. I guess not. I guess not, although I had a lot of luck hiring um, people that had been actors to, to be mm-hmm. writers. I mean, mm-hmm. they you, it does have a certain perspective. But I, I did, and I, I, I wrote a big long term that I just gave to them uh, because I knew that the show was fighting for its life. Absolutely. And uh, I thought maybe just you know having the story for the show would um, – would be helpful. It never occurred to me <laughs> that they would. I remember going out to dinner, and it was the guy from Procter and Gamble, and a guy from the network, and the producer. But the guy from the network at that point was Jeff Ryder, who ended up being my partner. <laughs> but um, he was he was uh, the youngest exec ever at, at NBC at that time, and I was I think I was the youngest head writer that. Um, at you know at that time I don't know if there's been people since then have, that were as young as me but anyway you it was just all it was just all timing you know because I at the end of the dinner I was talking about the stories and how I thought you know everything could go on the show and as we were going back out to get into the limo because in New York they took you around in limos everywhere because um, nobody has a car um, I said well what exactly are y'all talking about or are you talking about me being like a writer on the show, like being in charge of the story? And they said, well, yeah. <laughs> you know, and I can remember that my one of my best friends who was who started out lowly and worked his way up too, like me, but who, John Whitesell, who went on to do a lot of directing in movies and Roseanne and all that kind of thing. But I can remember before I went to the, to the meeting, I said, well, hey, wait, John, you think there's a possibility that they might like, Give me some money or something for my stories, and he's like, "No, wow, no, unbelievable." No, oh, no. Listen, Brandon, I, I, I had won my first Emmy before I ever had an agent, <laughs> so I didn't know anything. I didn't know anything about anything, but I didn't know that you couldn't, and, and that, no one should ever let anyone probably, tell you that you can't. 
that probably puts you in good stead, the fact that you didn't know anything about anything. I, mean, I didn't know any of the rules. You well. I didn't know any of the rules, so, you, you know, didn't mind breaking them. Wow. Um, sometimes the, the rules can really hold you back because, you know, your journey is going to be different from anybody else's. Absolutely, and there's no right way to do anything. Nah. Be no. nice about it. <laughs> be good to people. Be respectful. And it should work out. You know, years ago, there was a great article in Soap Opera Weekly about the cancellation of Texas. And in it, you told a fantastic story about trying <laughs> to convince Gail Kobe to get on a plane with you and fly to L.A. Uh, you know, I hate, so you I hate getting I hate people, Grant Tinker. Yeah. I hate getting people to repeat their stories, but that is such a good one, and I want to, I want you to tell it. I just didn't think that anything was impossible, you know, and that if they really understood, you know, um, the passion that was behind the show and that it would take time and that there was, you know, there were new people in there now. And, in fact, every single person, I believe, on, on my team after that were all brand-new writers. They'd come from all different walks of life. I mean, I had a guy who was a secret writer but was at, you know, he was working at off-track betting. I mean, people <laughs> – and, and I didn't even know how to type, wow. you know, so I'm handwriting everything on a legal pad. But anyway. Um, Unbelievable. But I said, let's go, let's go. And, then she, you know, she had been around, you know. She uh -huh. she did know how things were supposed yeah, to go. Yeah, she knew the rules. She knew what the rules were. I almost got her to do it, though. I almost got her to do it. And um, and she, she did say later that it was one of her regrets because she always wondered what would happen if we had gone there, especially if Brandon Tartikoff was there, because I ended up meeting and working with Brandon later, and he was there then. Wow. Um, I, I just can't imagine. I think there would have been fireworks, and Texas would you know, still be on the air. That's what I think. Is it true that NBC was stunned by the reaction they got to the cancellation of this thing? That they received more yeah, letters over that than they fact, had for we any should, show. We should probably have uh, we should have Jeff Ryder on here right now. Boy, he can tell you some stories. But um, uh, yeah, I, I think they were. And and I had even heard that Grant Tinker said, you know, I think someone told him the story. Yeah, someone told him the story that we almost came. He said, I wish they had. Him. I wonder what would have happened then. Wow. You know, because he he didn't he didn't have any idea. Sure. Um, you know, maybe they can track things better now. I'm not sure that they can, but no, it had it had really really loyal fans. But you know, if Texas had kept going, I wouldn't have gotten to do Guiding Light. Absolutely, so. absolutely. And, but you know, the, the the funny thing about that is that was in the days of no internet, no computers. There were three networks. I mean, you know, it was it was a much simpler time. And the fact it was a simpler time that this huge I, outcry sprung up over this little show that that here, they thought nobody watched. Here's my claim to fame. I was the first. Um, head writer that got all of their team on computers. I knew that it would work, and we had modems, and we could send things. And I got Procter & Gamble to get us those um, computers <laughs> so that we could send each other things. And I still, I, I did not, until I wrote my third movie for Lifetime, this is a couple of years ago now, I, that was the first time I wrote a script on the computer myself. I hand wrote all these years, and you know, and I have like crunched up hand to prove it. But um, <laughs> yeah, who knew you could get carpal tunnel in your pinkies? But uh, anyway, um, um, uh, I did know that 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 would work, <laughs> being able to do things fast like that. Because look, it's like a novel; you're turning the page every sure. single day, sure. um, but it's it's relentless. I can remember going two years in a row without taking a day off. I mean, that's kind of crazy stuff I used to do back then. 
So, anyway. Talk about okay, moving from the Okay, now I'm tired. <laughs> Have you ever had anybody talk for that long? Because sure. I, I Listen, feel like now I'm going to hyperventilate. Listen, I love it. Yeah, hot I, air. Just a lot of hot <laughs> air, Brandon. <laughs> it's brilliant, and don't knock it. Uh, talk about moving from Texas to Guiding Light. Was it just a matter of, of you being in the Procter & Gamble family already? Um, well, you know, it was really my relationship with Gail because Gail Kobe, the producer on Texas, she loved stories and storytellers, and she she said she she called me Shahrazad. You know, she had always looked for, and that's what a great producer really does. They look for a writer and a storyteller. They look for a storyteller. And um, she she was willing to put up with me learning the ropes because I didn't know anything about any of it. Um, and I had Jeff Ryder who really helped me, you mm-hmm. know, with that in terms of knowing just how how they're structured, you know, and, and all of that. But but I, you know, I was a quick study. But the stories, you know, I could really spin all of the stories. And um, but I figured when it was, I mean, I had you know, I was an actress on the show. And I was pregnant with my first child, and I can remember going out to dinner with Gail and her saying Rena was going to have a baby. And I'm like, no, no, I really don't see that, you know. I, I, really, I mean, she's the sexy woman on the show. I wouldn't have her. Ashley should be having a baby, you know, and do a triangle with that. And she said, well, no, I'm, I'm going to do it with Rena. And I said, no, 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 I really think it should be Ashley. And she said, well, I'm not. I'm going to do it with <laughs> Rena. And I said, well, you can't because Carla Borelli's not pregnant, but I am, <laughs> you know. <laughs> And uh, which, of course, I was writing the show and pregnant with my first child and acting on it. I mean, it was ridiculous because it was like, and I was huge too. I can remember the first time I ever knew Kim Zimmer. She was on the Doctors, uh-huh. and I thought that woman's even bigger than me, you know, because both of us were pregnant at the same time. And but I gained fifty pounds, and there I am, fat Ashley on the show, and I can remember my my my, my love interest. You know, TJ goes. I said, TJ, I'm, I can't, I can't be with you because I'm, I'm pregnant. <laughs> and he has to, is a, is a, who, as an actor, he'd never had to do anything so hard. He's surprised. <laughs> He's surprised. Oh well, I, I'm, at least I gave him some words to cover. I must have known, but I just wanted to be blind to it because it meant I was going to go back to Justin. But it was like I was, I was big as a house. I'm pregnant. <gasps> really? <laughs> So I wrote myself off the show, <laughs> went, you know, missing in a flood, and came back in time for Christmas with, you know, being carried in by an angel when Absolutely. CJ, my son, was three days old. So wow. I was back at work um, on the third day. Anyway, I haven't thought about this stuff in a long time. It, <laughs> it was kind of a wild time, but I figured that. You know, this was a fluke, and that when Texas was canceled, I would go back. I'd lose weight and go back out and 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 act again. Be an actress again, sure. I would go out and be an actress again. And Kobe was like, Gail Kobe was like, Why in the world would you do that? You know, you're not gonna be, you know, you're not gonna be nice looking forever, and you talk funny. What kind of roles are you gonna get? She said, But a writer, you can be a writer forever. And that made some sense to me, and she was being offered guiding light, and boy, I mean, that was a war horse. That was just a warship, you know. It was, it had been around forever, and I thought, you know, I, I thought that Texas was just a special thing. I didn't know if I was a writer. 
I, I wouldn't stop using a pencil for the longest time because I thought I'm going to have to erase everything of this, you know. I remember it was a big deal when I started putting a pen to paper, <laughs> you know, because you couldn't erase it. So, but anyway, she said, I'm, I'm, I don't want to go over there unless you're going with me. I want you to go with me. And I was like, well, okay. So I, I went over to Guiding Light. and um, What did you think of Guiding Light when you first got there? You know, my understanding was that after Doug Marlin left, the show was in pretty much a, sh- a complete shambles. I, you know, I don't know. I don't think I had enough experience to, 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 to know that, I mean, I knew that they weren't high in the ratings or anything like that, and, and um, but I... And you were used I, to that, being on Texas. I mean, you were used to that. I was used to that. Exactly right. Yeah. So I was prepared for that. That didn't Nothing phase Nothing new for me. you, yeah. Yeah, that didn't phase me. Yeah. I was just learning, you know, what... Yeah. Uh, <laughs> What, you know, that you got graded every single week. You had a test, and people graded you on it. But um, and it was um, much harder than the GRE. I would I would wager. Yeah, well, that was just over in one day and changed the course of my life. You know, um, but you know, this was too. But you know, I I I took Jeff Ryder with me. He left NBC Network and 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 went with me because I I just I learned so much from him, and and mainly we just argued all the time. I mean, I can remember being in a story meeting with him when he was the, the head of daytime at NBC, and he took off his shoe and threw it at me across the room at one point. <laughs> and, you know, but we were totally passionate about the characters, and they were real to us, and we would just fight over them. And and um, and, and I, I, used to, I used to say to Jeff, I don't know why you put up with me, because the main thing that I would do is think, ah, I can't think of a thing. He'd go, well, what about this? And i go, no, 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 no. So... <laughs> I would disagree with Jeff, and then we would come up, you know, I'd come up with story, and he would, bless his heart, he would always get excited and, and support me, and then we'd go to Gail, and she would get excited about it, and then we'd go to the network, and they, we had to, we had to pull, you know, CBS kicking and screaming all the way to number one, which we were once <laughs> went up against G, you know, General Hospital when it had a forty share. Yeah, which was the behemoth of daytime at that point. Oh, and it was, was a behemoth, yeah, and and that, that was the show. That's, that that was the show, and that's who we were against. And um, but once again, not having experience, but having all I had was intuition. Um, but we we broke all the rules there too. Uh, because normally you would say, and even I would say this, you don't go on a show and get rid of half of the characters on it. Uh, but we did, and we did it in the first six months. But we kept yeah. the strongest characters there, you know, the Bowers and and um, and even in the Reardons, and um, and we and we built on that and uh, and just introduced great characters and then found these incredible actors to to play them. And and then we just took off from there. I mean, yeah. once you got, I mean, Philip, Beth, um, Rick, and Mindy, <laughs> and and then you know Reva Shane comes on the scene, uh-huh. and I don't know if anybody would remember this, but we had wonderful Harley Kozak, who's a wonderful writer now. And people should go and buy her books. Um, playing Annabelle with Tony Reardon, and so we had this you know sexy adult love story, this wonderfully romantic story with with kids teenagers that everybody could identify with because everybody's been in high school and in love for the first time Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and then we had this big like supernatural mystery story a psychological thriller posing as a murder mystery and it was just it was just a great winning combination and um 
Uh, I didn't do it alone. Uh, I did it with Jeff Ryder and, and Gail. I mean, she would make the most amazing things happen. We didn't have a huge budget on Guiding Light. It was a Procter & Gamble show. Um, and, you know, I I wrote Reva jumping off of a bridge going into water yes. to kill herself in the snow. <laughs> in the snow. And then hearing the voice of her unborn child, yet to be born, that we got to see born on the show, calling her name and her coming back. And, I mean, Gail would, of course, scream and yell and say, are you trying to kill me? How can I do this? But she loved it. And we had a great – and we had Richard Hankins, who was, you know, the um, art director who just made everything happen, who, you know, ended up being very successful out here um, in, um, you know, primetime doing the – number one rated shows and we had John Weitzel you know who ended up doing movies so it was just we were all these young Turks and we just didn't think anything was impossible and we had a great time and you proved that nothing was impossible no I gotta tell you it was a, a miracle that, <laughs> that that Guiding Light actually ended up just you know we used to bounce between two three and four and it was you know it was against it was the behemoth it was General Hospital and all my children and Y&R uh-huh. and Guiding Light and it was a it was a great time. It was a great time to be writing soaps, and I always said I was. It was like my school. I was learning how to do it, and um, but it was. Um, I, but I knew as soon as I started writing that that was that was what I was. That was what that's what God meant for me to do because I I I just you know why be one person if you can be all of them, <laughs> you know. You know, you and Gail took a great deal of heat at the time for for what was perceived as phasing out or, you know, at least drastically reducing the Bowers and the Reardons on that show. Yep. I'm not sure if it was that or if it was just you bringing characters to the forefront to surround them. But we, uh, was that just a natural yeah. byproduct of, of Sharita Bowers' illness, or was it a concerted effort on your part to kind of swing the focus? Well, Charita got, you know, Charita got ill, and then she lost her, you know, she, she, had, she lost her leg. Mm-hmm. And, and, no, we still kept her there, but she she was really seriously ill more than people even knew and and uh for a time before people knew so i mean that was that was part of it and um um but no i really i really felt like we kept like the spaldings were there not alexandra but you know i mean um alan was there mm-hmm. um and we definitely well, Philip had been like a baby or something, and you know he he had really been the functionary of one of those switched at birth stories. Okay. Yeah. But we grew him up. So as as you know, as a teenager coming back, it's like he'd been a little kid and off somewhere. <laughs> so he didn't have a personality or anything because uh, he hadn't actually grown up on the show. We just said, hey, Alan's got a son somewhere. <laughs> he may have been a baby the last time we saw him, but. <laughs> He's grown up now, <laughs> and uh, that's when we brought him back and Rick. Um, uh, you know, and I, I and I loved Beth Rains. Um, Absolutely. And I was really proud of that story, and I was proud of Procter and Gamble and the network for letting us do it because it was six months before All About Amelia. So, as far as I know, it was one of the first times that mm-hmm. television had dealt with incest. Mm-hmm. And, and in, a, um, in a serious probing way i mean yep you didn't you didn't pay it lip service you really showed it nope we did you know and um and and learned a lot 
Wow. You know, learned a lot, and, and and also to be able to do things that are not not just taboo for, and it's certainly not for the sake of it, um, but to do things that had a social significance, but still be entertaining. You know, um, mm-hmm. and of course the key to the key to all of it, the key to all of it is just love. You know, for people to to love each other, and in the name of love, people can do some horrendous things. <laughs> But you know, which keeps it keeps it interesting. <laughs> but um, you know, um, best father, stepfather. Um, but she had grown up with him. She had never known her real father. Um, he had love for her, but it was it was perverted. Mm-hmm. And you know, in the original story, I had had Lillian. <laughs> I'm not giving anything away. Got married yesterday on the show, but uh, um, she was going to. She finally came to her daughter's aid, and when she had been blind, and you know, but she she killed him. And they asked me not to do that. And I used to be very, very boy. I just I committed 110 percent to the stories, and but I started to see the light on why it could be. It would be better to let him live, so that there could be. He could actually really pay for it, and that Beth could have some. That he could finally end up saying that he was sorry, and it wasn't her fault. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, I don't know why we got off on that. <laughs> That's a downer. But you know what? Our ratings went through the roof with all that. Absolutely, um, they did. But it's you about know, balance, you know. You can't have something that serious going on without somebody else across town being, you know, we would have to be giggling when that was going on. <laughs> no, it, it it just goes to prove though that that no matter the subject matter, if it's a good enough story, people will watch it. And oh, if it's yeah. not a good story, people won't watch it. That's right. It's all about the story. It is. So uh, talk about talk about Reva. Talk about your most famous character creation. Where, <laughs> where did you get the inspiration for Reva? I don't know. I mean, people used to say that she was like my alter ego. I never did any of that, okay? Cause, I mean, sometimes my sister would call me up and she'd say, Pam, how would you come up with that? Did, did, did anything like that like happen to you? And I, you know, I just had a vivid imagination, and I was always a reader. But she, she just—I mean, there was a lot of of of. I, my, I mean, I poured my heart into Reva. That's clear. But I have to say, that's when true. she was introduced, that there was a lot of Jeff Ryder in her too. <laughs> so, so you know, um, and I learned something so important when. We were because um, I had an idea in my mind about what Reva was like, and I think I think at that point I was still trying. I kind of did a combination of of what I wish that Ashley could have been and how I wish I could have done something else with Rena. You know, I still might have been trying to come up. You know, I still might have been writing Texas a little bit in my mind and in my heart. But um, when we did the, um, you know, when when we did the auditions. Um, Zimmer wasn't my first choice at first. That's what I wanted to ask you. Did you immediately know, or did she audition for that? She was so different from what I had in my mind for Reva. That is so stunning to hear. So, but this, but I never, ever, ever made that mistake again. I mean, that could have been a fatal mistake. But I believe I don't even think it was Jeff. I think it was my friend John Weitzel that said, "Well, wait a minute, wait a minute. Look at this girl. I mean, look at look at her. You know, her energy. You know, he's a director." And I and I trusted him, you know, and I started looking at her again, and I thought, you know, what attracted me to her 
was, um, and I have never forgotten it, and I, I, I think about it in every character that I, that I create and then cast, and that's the capacity for joy. Wow. The capacity for joy. And, and just, you know, she's just like a firecracker. <laughs> and, um, um, and I said, yeah, you're right. You know, um, so thank, thank goodness I, I, I listened to someone else because she was like, we were like, you know, Siamese twins that had been separated at birth. And um, Did you have any notion at all that it would take off the way it did, that she would become, you know, arguably the most <laughs> famous character in the show's history? Well, I guess, you you know, you hope that with all of them. But I, I, I think I knew pretty quickly because she made my heart beat faster. She made my mind and imagination go. And I thought, it's got to be that way with people at home. And I just had a real affinity for Kim, you know. I, I would know when Kim was pregnant before she did. I mean, I'd see her on the air, and I'd look over at Jeff, and I'd say, wait a minute. Whoa, 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 whoa. You know what? Because I never talked to her. I never did. I said, you know what? You need and that to is so funny, her. because the perception was that you guys were bosom buddies. I know it. That's hilarious. No, my, my love letters to her were in a script. Wow. And she got them, and she delivered. And we usually only met about, you know, once a year we would have a dinner. And like I think I mentioned to you, you know, about every other year, she would be really mad about something. And, um, <laughs> you know, we didn't always see uh, eye to eye all the time. Cause I, and I remember being at dinner once. This was probably only like the second year that we were working together. And um, we, there was a producer there, and it wasn't Gil Kobe. And he'd been there forever on the show. <laughs> And Kim and I, Kim just was, oh, you know, and and I, I and we're in a restaurant in New York City, and if anybody had been listening in around us, they probably were calling the police, you know, because she was, she would be like, well, why don't you just kill me, give me, you know, give me a disease and let me die, and I'd be like, no, I'm gonna put you on life support so you can't open your mouth. You know, but uh, no, I'm not going to kill you. <laughs> She'd be like, well, you're just not writing the stories, you know, anymore like for Reva. You really just don't have it for her anymore, you know. She says, I want it to be back like when, you know, you believe. <laughs> well, I'm on it. I, you know what, I can't even go any further because that can be reported. The, the producer went outside and threw up in the snow. <laughs> you know, I mean, it, it, it made him it made him so nervous but because – that was funny. Just go ahead and kill me with a disease. No, I might just put you in a coma so you can't talk. Well, Which actually I, I, did happen one time on Santa Barbara, but let's don't go there, okay? I did try that once for somebody. Worked like a charm, Brandon. So anyway. You know, I, I want to ask you about I want to ask you a question, but I want to tell you what it, it's about seeing the sparks between Robert Newman and Kim Zimmer. And I want to ask you mm. what happens inside a passionate writer's mind when she creates something and gives Everything. it to extraordinary actors and they work together to make something so much bigger and so much grander. Well, you just, well, how does it make you feel? Like you can't wait to get up in the morning and spend all day with them and you're thinking about them when you go to sleep at night. I mean, it's just, there's nothing like writing a, a great love story for people who have chemistry, and they did. I mean, as soon as I took those two, the, the, when I first remember, 
boy, that really, really just leapt out at me was the first time that they went to Cross Creek. And, I, you know, he had a whole, he couldn't stand her when he first <laughs> met her, you know. But, and then you realize that they had that, that history. Yeah, you always know what that means when you see it on soaps. Oh, <laughs> and um, that that was her first love, and that's when Bud, you know, she called him that. And, and she went, and I used to love to write monologues, and I, I um, and they would actually take my monologues from my long terms, and, and I was thrilled to actually hear my word. Because a lot of times as a head writer, your dialogue isn't coming out of the actor's mouth, but a lot of times with Breva, my words were coming out of her mouth, and um, I remember her, she she did a monologue about what it was like feeling like she had gotten older, and we'd only seen her as like a party girl, so we hadn't seen her be serious and expose her heart, mm-hmm. and I remember that one, I, of course I remember Reva in the Fountain, because sure. I wrote that one. And um, I loved it, her and Josh making rain and then getting caught. I always loved Camelot. I loved King Arthur and Guinevere mm-hmm. and Lancelot. It's the best triangle in, in the literature. In the world, yes. You know, in the world. And so that, that's what I loved so much about Josh and Reuben at that time, Billy. Uh, and Billy being the spoiler. And, and HB. I mean, HB was really King Arthur and... He was Lancelot, and Billy was Mordred. <laughs> Billy, Billy was causing trouble. Um, but no, if you'd said, Pam, you're going to create a character who's married every man in the family, I'd go, yuck. But, um, not only that, but we're going to love her in the process. And we're going to love her. Yes. You're not going to be able to help but love her. Absolutely. And her always going on, and, and Reven Red, it's always like, you know, coming in, the writers will be there, and I'm like, okay, come Friday. Reva's going to be in red, and you just, when Reva was blue, she got dressed up in red and went to town, and when she got, you know, wore red and went to town, there was going to be trouble, trouble, trouble. Wow. She was just a great character. Absolutely. Just full of life. Yeah. Talk about one of your most divisive storylines. You know, fans either loved or loathed the josh reva Sunny triangle. Yeah. You know, I love the hell out of it. It was so crazy and complex and dangerous and and ridiculous and, you know, just pulpy and full of soap, and it was great. It Uh, was really dangerous because you were introducing someone who Josh could love instead of Reva. And that really got some people upset. Talk about that story, how you conceived it, how how it turned into such a sticky, complicated yarn. You know, you lucked out by Hmm. hiring a magnificent young actress by the name of Michelle Forbes. Yes, Sherry Strangfield, Sidney Penny. There was some, you know, um, well, yeah, because she's so complex. (laughs) Well, she is. No question about it. You can tell just by looking at her, even today, to this day. Oh, I know. You know? um, Whew. I don't know. I was... I love crazy women. That's just like I'm, I'm. I'm. I'm like a man that way, you know. It's like men love crazy women, and I love writing men. See, and I really felt the thing I feel good about. Is I really did feel like that our men on Guiding Light were men. You know, they weren't just like always subjugating themselves to the women. Some did, but you know, they were guys, and guys love crazy women. They just do. <laughs> um, so, but you know, the whole thing of—I I think I was probably influenced because, as a you know, a little girl, I I, I love reading about Bridie Murphy, or I love reading about Sybil, 
<laughs> and um, so, yeah, I ended up having to do a lot of research on multiple personalities because it wasn't just a split personality, you know, I mean, or what people thought of as that. And yeah. and I don't know, you know, you learn a lot when you do these 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 stories. I learned more than I ever wanted to know about schizophrenia and <laughs> all bet. those kind of things because, you know, it's like pick your poison. But, um, you know, Annabelle, I mean, Annabelle had all those problems, you know. I, uh-huh. Yeah, I like writing the crazy women. <laughs> Did you have any idea that Michelle Forbes was going to act the hell out of that part? I mean, did you just have any clue when you when you first hired her, when you first saw her? Well, she was intense, and that's why I that's why I I hired her. I mean, I knew that she was intense, and and um, you know that role was really hard for her. It's hard to first of all, just daytime is so demanding anyway, and it takes a certain type of person mm-hmm. to be able to even handle it. But then to handle but two But to go to a place it, like that day after day after day. To go to a place like that, and it's two roles, you know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's not just one. Um, but and, um, and for her, in some ways, it was three roles because it was it was the two sisters, plus it was one impersonating the other, and, you know, it just turned into such a, such a, such a complex tale. Very complex. Yeah. But I, I've, you know, um, at, at root, they have to be, have a simple premise, but I, I really liked having complicated things going on and just pure romantic things i love that i mean one of the i love you know well the craziness of um reva and um my mind's gone blank what's his name falling through the roof at the amish (laughs) (laughs) at the amish but then like one of my most favorite scenes was reva you know helping helping the girl make her man happy by taking a bath in lemons to get rid of her freckles. I mean, I, I just love all that stuff. And I had writers that just went right along with me, you know. They'd, like, they'd be like, do what with the lemons? And I'm like, oh, now come on, you know. And, um, yeah, but it was it was a lot of fun. You know, when Kim made her triumphant guest star turn on Designing Women in 1989, did you did you feel that dread in the pit of your stomach, like, uh-oh, she's, she's getting ready to leave us? Listen, I remember seeing Kim... In um, what is it? The one with uh, Kathleen Turner and um, Body uh, Heat. Body Heat. Yes. Yes. And I can remember seeing Kim. And Kim only had a small. You know that role was Kim's. Did you know that? The director of that movie had done The Doctors. She and Kathleen were both on The Doctors. He wanted that role for Kim. I did not know that. Kim had a conflict. you got to talk to her about all this. Kim had a conflict, and they gave it to Kathleen, which made her wow. a star. Um, Absolutely. And then there was that. It there changed was her that, life. There was that. It sure did. And there was that cameo of Kim in it. But I can remember at the movies um, seeing that cameo and sitting up and going, whoa, look at that girl. <laughs> Wow. You know, because she just, life shoots out of her eyes, you know. Um, and I really, I even remembered her her from that. So, I mean, I, I, mean, I knew that, that, that Kim could, could do those things. But you know what? I, thank goodness, I just think it was always really hard for Kim to ever get away from Reva. Mm-hmm. It was, you know, it's the role of a lifetime. It sure is. And, you know, it's, it's, it's one of those perfect matches of, of character and actor. It doesn't come along very often, and when it does, you know it. Yeah. I mean, I would have been happy for her. I mean, I really would have been happy for her. I mean, because I, you know, I I left daytime. I came out to L.A. and, and you know, started doing prime time and other things. So I can't begrudge it for anybody else, but but I'm glad Kim stayed and did, did Reva. Cause, yeah, I love Reva, and thousands of other people do, too. 
you know, I tell you what, that scene of the red car plummeting over the bridge in the Florida Keys uh, with her and with her at, behind the wheel, you know, it remains one of the most haunting, most indelible moments in the history of social. Wow, isn't that something? And you just know she's not going to be gone. Though. <laughs> <laughs> she's just too big and too mean and too alive to ever be dead. Did her so, departure for, in 1990 kind of facilitate, facilitate your own in a way or no? No, I was gone. So oh. I, I didn't write that. That wasn't me. Oh, oh, okay. It wasn't me. But I just I thought it was I thought it was a great. It's like something I would have written, isn't it? <laughs> it sure is. I, I, I would have I sworn that you wrote that. That, no. that was your final story. Nope. Wow. Okay. We broke. Some Unless I'm here. having a great big, <laughs> awful moment here. <laughs> no. I would remember that. I know I would. <laughs> you sure would. <laughs> so, uh, what are what are you proudest of, of, of about your time at Guiding Light? What are, what's the thing that? I mean, I'm sure there's a hundred million things, but what's what are there is a hundred million things. I think I think what the happiest time, the happiest time that I remember was being at the Emmys, and I don't know what year it was, and everyone on Guiding Light won, and those actresses to see Kim get up there to see. Maeve get up there to see. I mean, I I I couldn't have been prouder than if they were, than if it was me, you know, because it was like part of me, you know, those that they were winning those awards for things that that you know we had written and um, I, and and it was, you know, we weren't the number one show, but our work was so good that our peers had really recognized, and we just won a slew of awards that night. Um, and it ended up that I had won too, but that, that <laughs> I, I I wasn't even disappointed that night because I felt like I had won. Uh-huh. Wasn't wasn't that I think that was the year that I won that they gave it to Bill Bell and then gave it took it back the next day. But I, I do you know the story, Brandon? Uh, you know I vaguely remember it. There was some kind of yeah. accounting error and the wrong card ended up in the envelope and and what it, was, what it said know, it was, was, quite, it was um, quite a faux pas. It said yeah, it said. Um, Y&R, Pamela K. Longhead writer, and, and the person reading it thought, had to make a decision, <laughs> you know? So they said, they said Y&R. Wow. And they didn't say the name. They just said Y&R. And, um, and we started hearing rumors late that night, and I was like, oh, stop it, you know? But um, I'd already felt like I had won. Uh-huh. But that's typical of the kind of sloppy luck I have. <laughs> the first time I win an award, all my family's watching on TV. I'm not on there. <laughs> So what do you what do you regret about getting like what would you take a second pass at if you could? Um I would probably Wow. That's something I would really have to think about. I mean my first my first instinct is I would uh I would probably fight harder to keep Tony Reardon on the show. But you know, I, I, I think he was already wanting to go, even you know when I came on. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think I would have worked harder to keep that Reardon, Nola stuff together, maybe. Um, you know, they said they wanted to go, and it was their decision. And I think I, it was like, oh, okay. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I, I would probably fight harder for that um, today, um, and. Um, I'd have to think. I'm sure there's a million things I'd want to change. Uh, you know, I made lots of mistakes. Um, 
I might not have been as timid about um <laughs> really you don't think about the stories we told and being timid at the same time do you yeah, I, I was about to say i can't imagine you being timid in any capacity whatsoever i was a little bit with some um, hb and reva um no we did tell just immensely emotionally brave stories i thought i was proud of that um i'm proud that you know johnny bauer got healed <laughs> you know i mean we and i can remember proctor and gamble saying pam i mean do you think you think we can that we can do this you know i mean in terms of i said well he's tried he's tried everything he's tried medicine he's tried holistic stuff he's tried everything and no one can know for sure what all the combinations of things happen but i said how it's not like they can sue you if you say god did it <laughs> you know <laughs> um you know, but that was brave. Um, sure. I, I, I like that, that everybody kind of, they just kind of, don't, I mean, I, I, listen, you had to be a lawyer, you know, to defend your work every week. It's not that. It's a complex, complicated, <laughs> and in the end, it's all about, you know, the stuff that they're selling during the commercials. <laughs> I mean, you forget that because you're just so caught up in it all. And um, Yeah, you know, your show is there so that the commercials don't bump into each other. That's right. <laughs> So that people will stay and watch the commercials, um, and, I, and I learned a lot, you know, working for Procter and Gamble. I mean, they they invented, you right. know, marketing right, and, and focus groups and and all of that, and so you know that really stood me in good stead um, when I came out to um, to L.A. into a whole other part of the business because oh, I learned a lot. I learned a lot there. You know, this may not be a fair question to ask you because you didn't have anything Uh-oh. to do with it, but. I mean, you know, you didn't have anything to do with it. You were long gone by this point. But so many fans and so many critics swear to this day that the show's the show's decision to kill off Maureen Bauer in a car accident was the beginning of the end of the show, just because of the way the internal dynamic of the show was irreversibly altered in a way. Um, if I'm not mistaken, you brought Ed Bauer and Maureen Reardon together, and I'm just wondering if you if you buy that idea that that her death was kind of the beginning of the end of the show. I I I honestly. Don't have any idea. I don't know. I mean, is that when the, did the ratings start to go down? Did they, you know, you can't step. I do remember that when I did do some consulting at ABC, and someone was there. Uh, maybe it was Jill, and no, no, somebody else. But anyway, I had heard that they had killed off. Um, you know, to kill to kill off to come onto a show that you don't know that well and kill people not just send them away someplace where they can come back That's damn right. but they they killed um reva's mother and i said would you have done that to erica kane <laughs> you know would you have killed her mother uh-huh. she's not the most important person on the show but it's erica's mother <laughs> and, and it, it you know it was uh someone at the at the network who had been there but anyway and and they said well no i said then why in the world would you have done it to reva shane why'd you kill her mother you know, and that, that's the only time I can remember. Like, saying, well, why, why would you, you could send her someplace if you don't like her, but kill her, <laughs> kill her because oh, it's something to do on Friday. You know, I don't know. <laughs> uh, let's see Reva cry because it's so hard for Reva to cry. <laughs> so let's just kill her mother. <laughs> but um, no, you do have to have respect for the audience and the ties that they have going way back. And you know, I'm not sure. But they killed Maureen Bauer, so she came back on the show, and then they killed her. Um, no, she didn't come. Well, you know what? She was recast at some point. Yes, 
and uh, her and Ed got married, and then Ed and Lillian had an affair, and Maureen found out about it, and uh, while she was driving away from Ed, her car slid off a bridge, and and she was she was killed. And you know, yeah, so that's just not right. To this day, you know, fans insist that that the show was never the same after that. It never recovered. I guess if you're willing to go that far, you know, that um, to cure, kill a core character, you know, the thing about it is you have to understand who the core characters are. Just like I don't think anybody would have come on and and killed um, and killed Riva or killed. <laughs> you know what I mean? Uh-huh. Uh, or, I mean, maybe they would, but I'm sure those people wanted to. <laughs> but, well, that's a know, whole other story. <laughs> that's a whole other story. You know, isn't it funny that the finale is centered around Billy and Vanessa's remarriage since you brought them together initially, if I'm not mistaken? Oh, I know. Isn't it oh, hilarious? I loved, I loved Vanessa. I, I, loved, I loved the lady and the cowboy. That, that was great fun. Those two together were so hilarious and so great, and now they're they're back together and riding off into the sunset. It's magnificent. I know to see them happy. I like that. I like that a lot. Now you know, um, I, I think the the character that I'm the most proud of how they were introduced, because it's always a big deal. You know, you really want to bring somebody on with a splash, and um, Harley. <laughs> Backing out on the bad side of town, we're introducing the bad side of town, backing out of the bad side of town and getting hit by Rick Bauer while she's clutching a teddy bear, and you realize she's a teenager who's about to have a baby. Wow. I know. Isn't that great? <laughs> no, see, it's almost like it's automatic. Like I, like, I didn't even write it. It's like, I, I still get excited about just, isn't that a great story? <laughs> Fantastic. Fantastic. I love that. You're like, yeah. And, and, you know, talk about another actress who was perfectly born to play that role. Yeah, perfect. The casting was perfect. She was Absolutely. just perfect. You know, just tough and holding a teddy bear. <laughs> you know, going to have a baby. <laughs> Which I just remembered. It was Reva's <laughs> son at long lost. Oh, yeah. So I want to ask you some questions about your post guiding light career, and you know anything you don't want to answer, please feel free to not answer, please. Um, uh, you know, I was back in the day. I was a Santa Barbara freak, and I want to know how that job came about. How Paul Roush lured you back into the fold? I just really moved out to um, L.A. and um, I had not worked with Paul. We had had a, a lunch one time. I remember back, you know, on the East Coast at some point, and. Um, and I, but you know what? I, I, it was Paul, and it, but it was Susan Lee. But I remember them. My agents calling me up. I was with William Morris and saying, "Santa Barbara wants you know wants to talk to you, and I think they have an offer for you." And I'm like, "No, no, no! I I, I can't have moved three thousand miles to start a new career, you know, to do Santa Barbara." Yeah. <laughs> but it, it, but you know, when Paul sets his mind to it, he can talk the birds out of the trees. <laughs> And um, I did get excited about the idea of working with him, and, and uh, I loved Sue Lee. And, um, and they had such a – I only had one question for them, um, that A. Martinez was tied up and really going to stay with the show and going to be with the show. And they said yes. Because <laughs> I have to tell you, if I had known he was going to leave, I really yeah. wouldn't have done it. Because you know, that, I that, that's exactly what I was going to No, that was it. That was a death knell. There was no point to it. You know, if you lost him – you lost the heart of the show. And uh, Did you know that when he decided to leave that you were in trouble? Did you know? Oh, it was over. I knew it was over. 
Wow. I absolutely knew it was over. We we just hadn't really quite had enough time for for new characters. Sawyer, you know, another mm-hmm. actor he's gone on, to, but um, for for them to really to to catch on yet. I mean, they were just the center of that show. Um, and um, so yeah, I knew, I knew, I was upset about that. Talk about that about show. That. There, wasn't, there just wasn't. There just wasn't. It was just a totally different. It was just so totally different. So, soaps in L.A. are totally different than the soaps in New York. Absolutely. Um, in terms of just how. Not not even how they're structured, but just the whole attitude and the tone is so different because they're part of a larger business, and it just seems like in in New York. I mean, New York is uh, a small town. You know what I mean? <laughs> it, it really, I mean, that's that's a weird thing to say, but New York's like a small town, and um, it's also incestuous there in daytime. And here, you know, you're going into a cafeteria and having lunch with somebody who's doing either, you know, a movie or a primetime show. or You know what I'm saying? It's just, it's just a different mindset. I really, really enjoyed it, and I was, I loved working with Paul. Um, he was a hoot. <laughs> And um, and I was just kind of starting to get into the groove, but then A left, and that was that was it. Yeah. It was just it's so, it was just so brief. It was just over. And I someone told me not long ago. I think it was um, uh, Michael Malone told me that he had spoke with Sue Lee, and that she had said that if Paul and I had come a year earlier. Wow. That Santa Barbara would still be on the air, wow. and that that made me feel good because yeah. I felt like Paul and I were a really good team. But does that break your heart in a way to to know that? I well, mean, sure, but even more, it would break the heart of the fans. You know, yeah, absolutely. Um, that that it just was, you know, it's all timing. It's all timing. Boy, I've learned that. <laughs> Talk about that show's extraordinary cast. You know, I've said for years that you can't imagine a show today populated by the likes of Gordon Thompson and Kim Zimmer, A. Martinez, Eileen Davidson, Jack Wagner, Sidney Penny, Stephen Nichols, Theo Pingless, Nancy Stop it, Jack Wagner. Robin Matson. I mean, Paul assembled you guys a dream team to work with. Oh, yeah. And Paul's so good at that. But Jack Wagner, well, now what a hoot he is. He's just a bad boy. He's just such a bad boy. And, 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 and it's he would just come in and it would just be – Jack, you're such a bad boy. He goes, I know. I know. I really am. <laughs> and he really is. And he's utterly charming and you and charismatic. And I just, I just, I could, you could write for him forever. You know, he's, he's great. Wow. Um, who else? Who else did you say? Oh, Gordon Thompson. Uh, oh, well. Sidney Penny, the great Sidney Penny. Sidney Penny. You know what? I can still, even today, just look at Sidney Penny's face. That's one of the most beautiful faces that I've ever seen. And then I remember that I saw it on the Thornbirds when she was just a little bitty girl playing. Yes. Um, and she's stunning. She's ageless. She's stunning. She is stunning. I actually. She'll be eighty she, years old, and she'll be stunning. She, she absolutely will. And she she actually is one of my husband's friends on Facebook. So I do see pictures of her, and I do still, you know, keep in touch with her that way. And she's a beautiful person. Inside and out. That was the thing about Sydney. She's so physically beautiful, but she's just got an incredible heart. An you know, incredible you, heart. You took some stunning chances with her character. Um, uh, d- yeah, that, that was a good way to introduce somebody, too. 
<laughs> you know, I forgot about it until the second. That's right. She was a boy. Yes, she was. She was Troy the boy. Oh, yes. the funniest. And that was so much fun with Jack Wagner. Jack Wagner <laughs> grappling with, why am I having these feelings? <laughs> that was fun. No, it's just... That was just great fun. Yeah, yeah, I would have liked to have had more time to play with that. <laughs> that was great. Was that she's, such a, she's such a good girl. He's such a bad boy. You know, I mean, it's just Absolutely. a perfect combination. No question about it. You know, was that storyline informed in a way by the storyline you had told with Beth and, and Philip years ago on, on Guiding Light? Was it, you know, in terms of the incest and, and the way it affected her, was that – were they haunted by each other or no? Well, you know, look, I mean, it also happened with Annabelle. This is when my sister was calling up saying, Pam, has anything ever happened <laughs> like that to you? Because I was writing it. But, you know, I think I was so taken that, that it was the most betrayal that a child could experience. And 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 just all the research, and I, I had known people that it had happened to, and I just and, – and I think it was – it was having just starting to have my own children. I couldn't think of anything that would be much worse than being betrayed by someone in your family. Mm-hmm. And um, so, yeah, I realize now that you're mentioning it that I did it three times because <laughs> it also <laughs> happened to Annabelle. Oh. Um, uh, I don't know. It was abusive relationship with the bad dad. So, yeah. No, I had the sweetest dad in the world. I'm telling you right now, it didn't happen to me. <laughs> Did did you know immediately that you wanted to bring in Kim Zimmer and pair her with A. Martinez? Was that just an instant thing with you? or? or? Well, I mean, Eden was the love of his life. Sure. But we didn't have her. You know what I mean? So, of course, I'm going to say to myself, well, who can I write to bring in here that would be? <laughs> and, and she was so hot to the cool, wonderful beauty of Eden that I thought, well, you know, that, that could work. That yeah. might could work. And, um, Matt, Matt and I just knew how to write her, you know? Um, I knew all the things she could do, and and she, you know, and she had a little bag of tricks too, which I used to call her Southern, you know, a little bag of Southern tricks, and I'd be like, don't you do that? You got to give me the real stuff. Um, but yeah, that's that's where that came from, and you know, given time, it, um, I'm sure, of course, I know it would have worked. It absolutely would have worked. I, mean, I know it would have worked. You know, I mean, she was. They tried to pair him with so many different women after Eden left, and you know she was the one that they would have accepted if you had just had time to de- to delve into it. Absolutely. Yeah. They would. You know, m- my sense is that you were so worn out after Santa Barbara folded that you had to drop out for a spell. Is that is that fair? No, I came out here to be in the, to create my own shows, and and um, and so I wasn't out here to do daytime, and and that was, I, you know, I was I was lured back twice. Um, <laughs> And you can guess how, because yes. uh, it is. It's boy, it's a tempting business to be in. But I really wanted to. Um, well, and when you're so damn good at it, and you get such instant gratification from it, I mean, I, it, I can imagine it's like a drug. It is. <laughs> it is. It's addictive, just like the people that watch it. I can imagine. I, I can only imagine. Um, but um, no. But, so I, know, while, you, while you, I was doing Santa Barbara, right at the end of it, I had actually ended up selling. Um, a show into development and at NBC, and um, so it, the the sting was out of it because I was right into a another project, and and um, and then I did um, Christy at CBS, and then after that I got to create finally um, 
my own show. A terrific show, show called Second Noah. Second Noah on yeah. ABC. You know, that was such a great original show, and it was it was it was one of those family dramas very much in the same vein as something called Seventh Heaven, which would debut later that year and go on right. to make a huge smash. You know, everybody knows that family shows like that take a, take a, a long time to find their footing in the ratings, and, and it seemed like ABC was was really going to stick with you guys and be patient and let you find your way, and then they got antsy and yanked it. No, it's one of those, it's one of those things where with Christy at CBS um, – you know the the president of the network that bought the show left. <laughs> you know what I mean? And Peter Tortorici came in, and the same thing happened at um, at ABC. Uh, the show's picked up by one president, wow. and then a new president comes in, and they want their own. They want to put those shows, so they want it, those shows that are just starting out. Those are the ones that they can yank and put on, and and try to make. And you know, she it ended up that she was the flash in the pan, and it was Brandon Tartikoff's show, um, and I I can remember when I I mean he was such a legend. And uh, did you love working with him? You know what? I don't even know if I can talk about him without crying. <laughs> I miss him even today. He, he had was, such a love of television that it must have just been amazing to even be in his presence. I love it that you know that. He he loved yes. television. Yes. He loved it. I mean, with and you could tell the way he programmed television that he loved television. Oh, he loved it, and he loved he loved writers, and he loved actors, and he loved, but he and he loved Second Noah, and he would say to me, "This is a Tombstone show. This is a Tombstone show, Pam. This is the show I want on my tombstone." Wow. Oh, he was so proud of it. And um, um, but I remember when I went in to pitch him, I had all these little pearls of mine, you know, these shows that I wanted to. And you know, my agent Sam Haskell said, "You're going to love him. He's going to love you." And you just tell him. And 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 before I could even pitch him my pearls, he goes, "There's something that's really been on my mind and on my heart. I want to I want to do a show about kids and animals, about adopted kids." And my heart just sank. I'm like, <laughs> "Kids and animals." What could be worse? You know, what could be worse? And, and of course, and talk about somebody who's, you know, you don't say no to. Absolutely. And, I, and in my heart, I went, oh, man, I'm dead. And my head's going up and down, uh-huh, yeah. Oh, yeah, that sounds good. And um, he was adopting a child. You know, after he had that horrible accident um, where his little girl had sustained damage and he almost died. They both almost died. And he was adopting, and he that was on his heart, you know. And um, that and the fact that he had a big, fat deal with Bush Gardens to do something in partnership. So it was, it was where the animals came in. And I'm like, oh, yeah, that shouldn't be too hard. And I remember going home and telling Steve, I'm never – because I was pitching all this kind of, like, edgy stuff. Uh-huh. You know, I, I I was getting pigeonholed as a family-type person. And, yes. you know, and, and it's like and my husband just looks at me, and he goes, well, Pam, look around our life. What do you think our life is? I'm looking around at that point. We're, we're living in L.A., in town, and there's six dogs staring at me, you know? Like it was against the law what we had going on in our house. And and I'm like, oh. And anyway, and it was wonderful, and it was a wonderful show, and it was a huge mistake, and they should have never canceled it. And, oh. and don't, you think, don't you think that ABC right now would kill for the supposedly puny ratings that – you guys were bringing in for them on Saturday night. I mean, we we had moved to Thursday. 
Thursday. I can't remember. I know at one point we were on opposite football, Monday Night Football. It was like, ooh. Uh, but um, I know that the ratings that we had the last week we were on, or even the week that they they said they canceled us, and they still had some on after that, uh-huh. um, was a 15, and I don't think they've ever had it since. <laughs> oh. So, no, I mean, that's 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 how it goes. And you, when you talk about regrets, I really wish I had fought harder, you know. I had a, you know, things are always moving so fast, and I, I knew that was a really special show. That was a really special show. No question about it. You know, that show introduced a, a lot of us to, a fresh-faced young actor by the name of James Marsden, whom I am man enough to admit to having a gigantic crush on. Oh, and yeah. Who went on to have a fabulously successful film career. Who doesn't? <laughs> he... <laughs> Could you see instantly that he had stardust in his eyes? Oh, yeah. He... No, 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 no. I'm not, I'm not a fool. <laughs> I mean, he, he was like, he's just, he's just beautiful and a beautiful person. And he's so funny. See, that's a lot of things that you don't really get to see. Uh-huh. You know, it's how funny Jimmy is. Jimmy's really funny. And um, we were down, we were shooting that in Tampa, Florida. And while we were shooting the pilot, we were all at a restaurant. And um, he said something about being able to, that he loved singing. I'm like, singing? You know, I'm like, sing for me. <laughs> and he, in the most beautiful, well, that was it. I mean, that was wow. it. I, I was like, I wanted him to sing every week, which I did. That's how he knew the show. I mean, it was like Ricky Nelson. I mean, except he was even cuter. <laughs> and I was so in love with him. Wow. Oh, I just, I loved him. I loved him. I loved his character. And I loved Darby. <laughs> you know, like, here's your nightmare. You know, here, here's this beautiful boy. And then... Here's this trashy girl coming up in her trashy car, and it's like, there's your nightmare. <laughs> and she was hilarious, Joey, <laughs> Joey Adams. And um, it was a great, great cast. Loved them. It was Loved a great them. show. And, you know, it, like I said, it's one of those shows that very it, different. It, it takes forever to take hold, but once it does, you don't lose that audience ever. Oh, it was unique. It had such heart, and it had humor, and it was surprising, and... There was a lyricism to it that um, my husband worked with me on that. He wrote some great shows, and um, wow. it was great. It was a it was a family affair, you know. Plus, I mean, you're getting up. It was one of the things where even hardened crew, when that show was, um, you know, filming the last day, mm-hmm. they were in tears because they knew that they would never be. Those children were wonderful. <laughs> You know, and Funny. to every day show up and, you know, well, we have to have the the baby, you know, the baby camel in the same scene with the baby zebra because they can't be separated. You know, they love each other. And then, you know, the spitting llama. And the, I mean, it was just, it was just, it was just incredible. <laughs> yes. You know, it was elevated. Um, it was just one of those things that was a real... Affair of the heart, even though we had some fiery actors, you know. But, but you're used was, to that. Um, yeah, you know. You know how to navigate that terrain. Well, once yeah, once you've done a daytime show, you can do anything. You can do anything. So after second Noah folded, you you were lured back to daytime a second time. Uh, 
Jill Phelps brought you on to One Life to Live in 1998 to see Yeah, it was, a, it was actually and, Donna. It was someone from the network that I had actually worked with. You know the show that the, I told you that I, I had sold something right at the end of Santa Barbara? Yes. The, the person that was in the room during that, when I was spinning that story, which was actually a great big period piece, but um, <laughs> anyway, when she ended up at ABC, she remembered me, and um, she brought me back as a consultant, which was consulting is lots of fun. It really is. I like consulting, and I like just coming up with stories and, you know, without having to be, you know, so in the – without having to be in New York because I lived in L.A. Um, and you could just travel there and then leave again. <laughs> you know, it was great. Um, but, yeah, she she actually then wanted me to, to come on to, and Jill uh, did too, to come on to One Life to Live. You know, I know you said that you don't really remember much about that experience, and you know, it's it's based on nothing but an instinct. But my feeling is that that was a tough experience for you. Well, it was. I mean, for one thing, I was separated from my family while I was there, and see, but I've always, even though I'm I'm so totally not a technical person, I I, I really have always understood how it works. And see, everybody does, you know, networking now where you um, can do teleconferencing. Mm-hmm. But at that time, they had just made the equipment to be able to even do it, and no one was doing it. But I wanted to do it so that I could spend, you know, a couple of weeks at home and then uh-huh. a couple of weeks there. But the writers hated it. You know, now, now writers do it, and they probably don't think anything about it. Um, but the writers really hated going into the room that they had to go into to do these conference calls where we could, you know, see each other to do um, – you know, to to lay out the the stories, so it was already where people weren't um, weren't weren't happy with the working conditions, and so that that was already kind of a problem. Wow. So ultimately, why didn't it work out for you there? I mean, did, did you at some point just have a sense that that your goals didn't mesh with whoever else's goals? Yeah, you know, I mean, one thing that someone explained to me very early on in daytime is that. In every single show that's successful, there's going to be one vision, and it's either going to be the head writer or it'll be the executive producer. And, I mean, Gloria Monty was, you know, it was her. Mm-hmm. And, um, um, and and you can, you, can, you can go through it, you know. It was like it would be Bill Bell or it would be Kay Alden. But, but you know, it's like somebody, somebody's always – and even though Gail Kobe had such a strong personality, you know, the the vision was coming you know from me and that's what I was that's what I was used to and and I think that with with Jill I mean Jill has an incredible um, story sense and yeah. even though she's not a writer she has a vision and um, and she needs a writer to work with her who can kind of bring that 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 vision out and and I think because I was in L A. Um, I was still coming up with my own stuff, and I think that was difficult for her. Okay. Um, so I think that's what it was, and 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 obviously, like she's now, a, is it's she's very successful, and it's because she she's able to do her vision, and well, and that's right. I mean, it, it has to be one or the other. Absolutely. So yeah. it probably was just the, a case of two people, you know, having a vision. You know, uh, talk about that a little bit. Talk about the executive producers that you were able to collaborate with because you worked with Paul Roush. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, Gail Covey, Paul Roush, Jill Phelps, these people are the best of the best at what oh, they yeah. do. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I was lucky. 
in your view, what is the ideal relationship between the writer and the producer? And how many times were you able to achieve that ideal? Um, you come in and, you, and you're able to come in with a story and your exec producer is gets excited out of their mind. It fires up their imagination and they, they, they want to produce it and they also can and can come up with ideas too. I mean, I love ideas. I, I would tell my writer, I don't care if it's on the bathroom wall. <laughs> if it's a good idea, I want to hear it. You know, um, uh, but um, so and it and it's it's ironic that the the people that I got along with the best were the people with the biggest, strongest personalities. You know, um, I mean, I I worked with Barney Rosenzweig, I worked with you know Brandon Tartikoff, sure. and but um, the, when it really works the best is when um, the producer isn't a writer or think that they're a writer. But but love but you know love love producing uh huh you know um but really have a story sense have a that really have a great story sense because I you know in daytime I wasn't I mean I loved producing that's that's uh, what I do out here mm-hmm. um, and I, I love you know being in the editing room and I love picking out um, um, you know the actors and the costumes and the sets and and it's fun being an executive producer um out here but in day in daytime it's impossible to do it all yes and i but, and I, but I never wanted to i never wanted to like uh be the one who talked to the actors i mean i you know you do every once in a while they come in and they tell you know what's the funniest thing about actors in daytime that i found they would really want to come in and talk to you and they have an opportunity they have your ear and they can tell you anything. They can pitch any kind of story that they want. But usually, what they want is something very small. You know, they're not they're not asking for a lot. <laughs> so, you know, I try to accommodate them. But I'm not trying to, um, you know, in in daytime, I'm not trying to to do it all. Sure. You know, it wasn't a popular decision at the time, and I won't ask you whose decision it was. But you, you know, I've got to tell you, and I told you this in an email last week when I sent it to you, but. You know, I've got to tell you that the sequences that you oversaw on One Life to Live regarding the death of Drew Buchanan, uh, the fallen cop, were some of the most gloriously wrenching episodes of soap opera that I've ever witnessed, ever. So, yeah. You know, in, in some ways it was a baffling plot move because Drew was a Buchanan and he was, you know, a great connected character that you could get years of mileage out of. But on the other hand, what drama you guys managed to squeeze out of that, it was unbelievable. Well, why did he leave? You know, I... I, I really don't think that was my idea. You know, I believe that that uh, uh, I don't think it was his choice to leave. I think he was fired. I think it was you know they, a decision from somebody. Well, it wasn't to... a, I don't think it would have been me. <laughs> <laughs> oh no, I blocked it all out. <laughs> it must have been Sonny or Salida, not me. <laughs> well, you know, I, I, I'm just telling you that scene of Mary Gordon Murray singing "I'm So Lonesome I Could Cry" to her dead son, and that slow that that. You know that shot of Sam Ball walking away from Gina and Bob Woods outside the cabin. It was just it was magical, glorious soap opera. I still vividly remember them eleven years later. Wow. And you know, I mean, the great thing about that story, from a story point of view, was that the ripples from that one event are still being felt on that canvas. Is that right? I mean, you know, Bo and Nora ultimately broke up over that, and they've spent the the last eleven years fighting their way back into each other's orbits. Wow. I mean, that is That's soap opera cool. finest. That's cool. Yeah. Unbelievable. Now, the guy who played the complicated rapist. Roger Howarth. 
He's now doing another soap, right? Yeah, he's on he's on as the world turns now. Yeah. Okay. And has he been on there for a long time? Um uh, I think he went over there in 2003 or 4 somewhere in there. So, how did you feel about that character? You know, when it started out, he was the most magnificent thing on daytime when it started out. When Michael Malone invented that character and first started that story, um subsequent writers watered it down to the point that you know it was really hard to to find anything to to grab onto in that character and you know by the time you got there i mean it was such a i don't know it was such a messy complicated thing by the time you got there and you know well he he was complicated because he he had such a need to you couldn't he, it was very difficult to write him because you're talking about the actor or or the yes character. yeah because he felt that anything that would promote a rapist, he would not agree to do. So it was like a minefield because it was his history. There he is. <laughs> He's, you know, there he is. Uh huh. Um, but he would fight you on finding the good in him. You know, it was it was it was interesting. I mean, he's a very complex uh, character, a very complex actor. But I could see where you'd get really trapped because exactly. he just wouldn't allow love. He just wouldn't allow it. It was like he he hated the character. You know, when when he left the show the first time, he left because of exactly that. Michael Malone spent two years rehabilitating that character and bringing him to a place on the canvas where the audience could accept him and he could invite love into his life for the first time. And Roger just refused to play it. He just absolutely vehemently refused. That's right. Very complicated. Wow. So, what have you uh, been up to in the years since you left daytime? What What have I mean? You know, what have you been up to since you left? Since you <laughs> walked away from one life to live. Well, I I developed and wrote a lot of pilots, and some of them have been done. I did a. Um, a movie with Kelly Martin, and we did a little feature with um, Dolph Lundgren, and we did. Um, and right now, we have uh, I call us writer ranchers. We have a ranch. We have a lot of rescued animals. Sound familiar? Um, kids and animals. Um, and you didn't so, want to write that show. <laughs> and I did not want to write that show. And then I proceeded to live it. Oh, and we did a sh- another show that's still that's still um, running in Canada. We did it in Toronto for PAX um, um, twice in a lifetime. Oh, okay. And that was a you know working in Toronto was was really 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 interesting, um, and and a lot of fun. And uh, we didn't even have a studio. We shot everything on location. So we learned a lot doing that, and that was a great fun. Um, and then um, uh, right now, I have a wonderful book that I've got that I'm that I'm um, that I've optioned because usually I really love my own stories. <laughs> but I've, but go figure. I, go figure. But I fell <laughs> in love with somebody else's story. You know, it's a true story, um, and I'm about to go out with it. And I'm also in the middle of writing um, a screenplay of my own. I've been a gun for hire for many, many years, um, but now I'm I'm writing. I'm I'm taking the time because I have the time now to be able to do it um, to write my own stuff. Wow! Create my own stuff. How does that feel? Well, it it feels great. Um, but you know, I've also got you know, 
kids and animals to deal with. When, when I, you know, it, it's funny because for the for the first time in my life, I'm a full time mom. Um, I wasn't when my boys were growing up, and then my uh, youngest son has uh, a daughter, and she lives with us. You can hear my dog howling, and um, so we have a four year old, <laughs> and it's it's interesting. It is it's it's very interesting. So. Um, yes, I'm I'm still writing, uh, and I go to PTA meetings too, <laughs> and take care of horses and goats and uh, pigs and chickens and all the other stuff. So who says you can't do it all? Who says you can't do it all? <laughs> what would it take to get you back in daytime? Oh, would would anything be sweet enough at this point? Just working with good people, you know, working with great people, um, great characters and great producers. Uh, you know, why don't they do a new one that's really different? <laughs> that's what I say. <laughs> you know, they tried that. It's called. It was called Passions, and it lasted just a few years, and it's gone now. Do you think it was really different? I didn't really get to see it. You know, it was stunningly different. I mean, it was it was crazy. It was too different. Well, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about great. I'm not talking about tricks. I'm talking about great story. Okay. But in a different milieu, you know, like not the same. It's a town. There's the three families. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, I don't know. I don't know. Something. I think. I think for daytime to be able to 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 keep going. The next one they do probably has to be really different. You know, that's exactly what I was going to ask you. You know, is a big part of the problem the simple fact that the audience, due to the plethora of entertainment choices it now has, has simply become so sophisticated and so astute that the old hoary soap canards of, you know, baby switches and back-from-the-dead stunts and all that just don't pass muster anymore? Well, that that could possibly be true, but they they have people that are willing to do this and show it to them in real life. So they have reality shows. Hmm. I mean, was it you or somebody, somebody really smart, was saying that all the taboos that, you know, used to be covered by daytime, people are willing to just have a camera in their living room, in their bedroom, for heaven's sakes, practically in their bathrooms, and, and show people. So that if, if, you're, if, you really, if you really have that kind of voyeuristic, you know, which a lot of people do, you're like peeking in on people. You know, it's like you can see the real stuff. I mean, people. I mean, Damn it right. goes and it goes so far. So, um, but 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 mainly, I, I think maybe 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 it's just gotten tired. There's there's still you still can't convince me that if you have a great character with a great story, that people wouldn't tune in to see it. Sure. Damn right. You know that. It's almost like they started imitating themselves or something. I don't well, know. You know you know that's 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 a part of it, and the other thing I think is that primetime television was able so brilliantly to take the basic soap structure of they're doing soaps of cliffhangers and continuing characters and relationships, and you know adapt that idea in such a way that that it made the daytime shows almost irrelevant in a sense. You know, if people could get their soap fix at night and watch these cool shows like Sopranos and ER and NYPD Blue while doing it, you know, what's the use of hanging on with Grey's Anatomy? I mean, you know, these are these are soaps. Materials. These yeah. are soaps, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I agree. I think it's a combination of those of those two things, but I don't know. Do you think that do you think it's time to write daytime off? You know, uh, the the 30-year-old soap fan in me says absolutely not. 
but you know, I mean, at well, some what point, were you were you watching when you were teething? <laughs> Let me tell you something. Let me tell you something. Texas was my very first soap. <laughs> Believe it or not, I, in 1982, this is a true story. I swear to Jesus, I had half day preschool, and I got home around 11:45 just in time to catch the last few minutes of Texas. And my mother and I would settle in for an afternoon of Days of Our Lives and Another World. <laughs> and later on, Santa Barbara came into the picture, and it, just, it grew from there. And here we are 30 years later, and I'm still the biggest fan ever. I'm I know. And, and I have, I, I, I'll tell you a secret, too, that people don't talk about. A lot of men watch soaps. <laughs> Damn right they do. They do. They do. We did market research on it. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you always hear about the sports stars and the you know the people who – don't work during the day. Who work at night? You know, who are glued to the to the day, to the television during the day, watching these shows, watching these great stories. Oh yeah, well they are addictive, and you know you just get characters that you really care about. But I, I think and I think too, it's like people have been on long enough now. I mean, like you have somebody and they've married every absolutely everybody on the show three times. You know, so it it starts to I guess it it can't help but get. A little silly. You know, it, it cracks me up. People like Erica Slazak on One Life to Live, she's been married ten times, and she is the saint of the show. It's, you know, in real life she would be, you know, the whore of the town, but, you know, on that soap opera she's well, the Well, here's saint. the sad the part, Brandon. It would probably, you know, everybody's getting married ten times. <laughs> you know, so it's like, oh, yawn. You know, it's like, it's like people used to live vicariously through them. Now they're like, they're ahead of them. <laughs> So tell me about your kids. Are they following in mom's footsteps in any way? My oldest son, CJ, has just um, graduated from film school and is working in L.A. as a a struggling young filmmaker. Um, um, Is this the one that you were pregnant with on Texas? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, that's the one that came out of Fat Ashley. And um, (laughs) so, you know, he he grew up. He he grew up practically on camera, it, you know. Even before uh, he was born, he was on camera. How great! Uh, and he's actually a wonderful actor, and he's actually a, an incredible writer. And of course, genetically, he's encoded to hate that. And uh, <laughs> um, and he's a and he's a director. Wow. And um, does this terrify you, or thrill you, or both? Yo, both. Oh, both. <laughs> you know, and, and and I find myself, you know, trying to. Trying to give him advice, and it's like you know, he, he you don't want him to get you know you don't want him to get hurt. You want him to know, it. and it's like you know what he's just gonna he's gonna jump out there and 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 go his own way. I mean he's um he's a beautiful, brilliant boy, young man. He's wow. not a boy. He's a young man. Do you dream and, of collaborating with him at some point, or would that you know ever be that you know sometimes I do. I think that would be um. A, a lot of fun. I mean, he, you know, when he does things, he gives it to me to look at. And um, and this 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 movie that I'm finishing now, I'm definitely going to be giving to him because this is the point now where he he can he can give me notes. <laughs> so um, so that's 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 a lot of that's a lot of fun. Wow. You know, is is and he loves New York. So there's a part of me that thinks that sometime he may actually. Go back there. I told him. I said you're in, you're encoded. It's like those those baby ducks, you know, when they come out and they 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 see something. I said you were a baby duck, you know. You were on the streets of New York. Uh-huh. Um, 
uh, until you were three and a half years old. So, because he said, "Yeah, it's like I'm so at home here." I'm saying, "You are. <laughs> you are at home there." Because it is. Yeah. Well, so. if, you can, if you can make it there, you can make it anywhere. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, and of course, his dad is still back there. So, uh, you know. You know his dad was Fletcher on Guiding Light. Yes, I did know that. Okay. You know, I was I, I was looking for him as well, and he is equally hard to track down. Oh well, I have his number. <laughs> <laughs> no, you know what? I will, I will, I will, I will contact him about talking to you because that, he's, that would be so great. I would. You know, he he has some of the most loyal fans I've ever seen. Yes, I know. You know, he was such a great actor, and they 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 did him so wrong on Guiding Light. I mean, at every turn they did, and you know, it's such a shame because he could have carried that show. He could still be carrying that show. That's true. That's true. Fletch was a great character. There's another one. <laughs> well, I tell you what, I would adore talking to him. So I'm gonna, I'm going to uh, fall to my knees and beg you to. No, yeah, bug me about it. To grease that wheel. Uh, so that, that I'll, I'll, I, um, I, I will definitely, I'll definitely get in touch with him. So what's on the horizon for Pam Lawn? You mentioned uh, the screenplay you're working on. You mentioned I'm in the middle of a screenplay, and I'm in the uh, middle of launching a, um, hopefully being able to sell this uh, book that I have as a as a movie, and uh, and other things. But it, you know, there's that thing where you jinx them if you talk about them. <laughs> but um, I'm I'm definitely. I mean, this is the longest that I've gone since Angelina was born. That's our little. Those little our little four year old please hear and um um I was finishing up a script when she was born, and now she's in preschool, <laughs> so i'm starting i'm <laughs> i'm I'm doing another script <laughs> i'm ready i'm ready i'm ready wow. to go the, the so fires, but, are, you, the fires you know, are burning life is full <laughs> life well, is I'm, full. I tell you what, you could write a commercial for bladder pads, and I'd be on the front row with popcorn. I guarantee. You. <laughs> now that gives me an idea. <laughs> well, I tell you what, I know you've got kids to put to bed, so I'm going to let you go. But I appreciate you so much stopping in here and rattling on with me about this, that, and the other. Well, listen, Brandon. Good luck with your show. Thank you so much. This has been the greatest thrill for me. I can't even tell you what it means to have you on my show. And you're you're um, you're wonderful to talk to. Thank you so and much. Actually, what can I say? You're a wonderful listener, uh, and um, I've I really enjoyed it. Uh, me too. I, I want you to know that you're welcome here anytime to discuss anything. I don't care if all you have on your mind is whether you prefer oolong or Earl Grey tea. You're welcome here anytime. Well, and and, and ditto. You know, <laughs> if you if you want me to, I, I won't have to talk this long, but. Um, <laughs> If you want no, to come this, back, this and, and definitely, I mean, so. definitely, Brandon, you'll hear from me when I um, when I sell this book. Fantastic! As a movie. I can't wait. Yeah, I'm already on my on my tiptoes waiting. Yeah, I'll <laughs> let you know. So I should before, hear something in the next couple of weeks. Fantastic! Fantastic! All right. So before I let you go, could I get you to do a promo for my show? Yeah. As long as it includes the words Pam Long and Brandon's Buzz, anything else you say is totally up to you. Oh, no. <laughs> and you're a writer, so you can do this. You're, no, you're up to this. No, <laughs> this is not writing. This is, this is a stream of consciousness. Um, okay. Uh, well, wait a minute. Give me some hints. Oh, my God. What, uh, Just anything. 
I don't know. Some people love to say, you know, I'm buzzing with Brandon. I mean, you know, some people say, okay, okay, okay. you know, any, anything creative is, is it's okay, totally up okay. to you. Okay, As long as All it has right. your name and my name. Okay. This is Pamela K. Long, and I am buzzing with Brandon. And I can tell you that it's some of the most fun that you'll have. So you need to tune in and you need to listen to Brandon, who's listening to all these wonderful guests that he has on. And I've just had a great time, and I hope that you do too. Spectacular. Thank you so, 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 so much. I don't even know if that made sense. If it doesn't, call me back tomorrow. (laughs) (laughs) It made perfect sense, and it was gorgeous. I loved it. I haven't talked this much, and especially about myself, uh, in in a long time. Isn't it fun, though? Well, it is fun. It is fun. (laughs) And and it's it's, it's actually different than talking to a four-year-old. I'm not (laughs) baby-talking. So very interesting. You know, it's a great occasion to reminisce. And like I said, you know, I was waiting and waiting and waiting for somebody to get your take on, you know, the news that the the oldest and at one time best show in the history of the world is going off the air. And, you know, when it didn't happen, I knew I had to try to dig you up and, and get the opinion myself. And I, I so appreciate everybody who helped me get to you. And I uh, I appreciate you, you know, subjecting yourself to me for an hour and 47 minutes. No, I appreciate it, Brandon. <laughs> it's fun. I know you're exhausted because I am, but um, but no, it was a lot of fun. And, and good like, luck with your show. Likewise, thank you so I much. I love Brandon's really buzz. Brandon's buzz. Isn't it great? I want to keep up with it. Absolutely. It rolls off the tongue. It does. <laughs> All right. Good luck. Thank you so much. Okay. Bye. The fantastic Pamela Long, everybody. Pamela K. Long, double Emmy-winning writer of Guiding Light in its glory days and still one of the best people we have anywhere in the entertainment business. Uh, uh, Brandon's Buzz in the can for September 16th, 2009. I'm so giddy. This was such a fantastic conversation, and Pamela Long is such a great lady and such a great writer, and I was thrilled to have her on my show. I'm literally giddy. I'm literally pulsing with adrenaline. I I can't even stand it. I want to tell you how you can find the show. If you're listening live, you already know how to find the show, but if you're listening as a podcast, you may not know that blogtalkradio.com slash Brandon's Buzz is mission control for Brandon's Buzz. From there, you can listen to the show. You can download old shows as podcasts. You can leave me comments. You can send me an email. You can tell me what you like. You can leave feedback. Any and all feedback is appreciated, and you can do that at blogtalkradio.com slash Brandon's Buzz. You can also find me at brandonsbuzz.com, my blog. There is a full radio archive of all my shows. This is show number 35, and uh, all of them will be in the radio archive at the top of the page, just click on the blue radio button at the top. It'll take you to a page where every date is listed. You can click on each date, and that will take you to a page where you can see the great banners that my pal Joanne makes to help me advertise the show, and you can listen to the corresponding show. So that's at my blog, brandonsbuzz.com. I'm also on iTunes. I'm on iTunes, guys. Just type Brandon's Buzz in the iTunes Music Store search box. Scroll down to the podcast section. Uh, click on my logo. From there, you can download old shows as podcasts individually, or you can subscribe to the show and have them automatically download to your iTunes library the minute they're uploaded to the music store. So I'm all over the Internet. There's no excuse not to be able to find me. I am uh, Brandon's Buzz on Twitter. I'm Brandon's Buzz on Facebook. Just Google the words Brandon's Buzz, and something will pop up that will point you in my direction. And I appreciate you uh, coming along. I appreciate you finding me, listening to the show, loving the show. I hope you continue loving the show and continue listening to Brandon's Buzz. Hi, this is Brenda Russell, 
and there is definitely a buzz happening. Brandon's buzz. I just had the most fun in the world doing Brandon's buzz. This is Louise Schaefer. It's a fabulous podcast, and it's a great, great way to spend some time. Brandon is the best. Hey, hey, this is Nia Peoples, and you are checking out Brandon's buzz right now. Hey, everybody, this is Beth Maitland. You probably know me best from my role as Tracy Abbott on The Young and the Restless, and I'm talking to you about Brandon's buzz. Come on, you've got to find him. Hi, this is Gordon Thompson speaking. And I want to tell you that I have appeared on Brandon's Buzz, and I had a great time. And I think you will, too. So please, log on and have a listen. Merci à vous tous. Écoutez Brandon Buzz sur Blog Talk Radio. Bonsoir et à très bientôt.